This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Ken Sandy is the founder of Peacemaker Ministries and RW360. Trained as an engineer, a lawyer, and a mediator, Ken has mediated hundreds of family, business, church, and legal conflicts. He's the author of numerous articles and books, including The Peacemaker, which has sold over 500,000 copies in 20 languages. He's also a certified emotional intelligence instructor and a certified relational wisdom conciliator, coach, and instructor. And he served as an editorial advisor for Christianity Today. Ken, thanks so much for coming back to Takeaways. It's great to be here, Kirk. Thank you. You know, one of the things that I've loved uh, about talking with you is the fact that you are trained as an engineer, and yet you are a relationships guy. Mm -hmm. You're a people person, and you are connected to feelings, not just logic and reason. So uh, you're kind of the whole package. Don't people think of engineers and lawyers as just emotional? Oh, the emotive types. Oh, yeah, it's all about... Absolutely. How, how, as a trained engineer, did you become interested in something you term relational wisdom? Wow. Well, what I learned as an engineer was problem solving. And that, I wouldn't trade that background for anything, whether it's in engineering problems, but now in my life it's people problems. I uh, went into law for a while, but what I found was you can have all the technical expertise in the world, but what was really underlying most of the issues lawyers deal with is people. People are unhappy, people are greedy, people feel they've been wronged. And I didn't have one minute of training in relationships, emotions, people skills, in all my engineering training and all my law training. And so after all that, I thought, I think there's something more, there's a better way to deal with these issues. So that's what drew me into this field of Christian conciliation and peacemaking. And, and what a need there is for this kind mm -hmm. of a help. Now, you, you make a distinction between relational wisdom and emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. they, they both sound important. What's the difference? Well, emotional intelligence is a term that was coined 1925 or so. It's similar to um, IQ, intelligence quotient, is your ability to acquire information and put it to use, mathematics, physics, chemistry, whatever. Emotional intelligence is your ability to process emotions, to read your own emotions and manage them and then also read the emotions of others and manage them. And that's, it's a growing field. Millions of dollars are being spent on it all around the world. What we're doing with relational wisdom, our approach is we call it an enhanced form of emotional intelligence because number one, we have, an, we have a moral compass as Christians. Uh, EI, a lot of the training you get, it's designed, how do I make more money and gain power in advance? It's self-serving. And there's a lot of writing out there, actually, what they call the dark side of EI, because you can- and EI is emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. But those skills can be used in a good way or manipulated, you know, to manipulate people. So with relational wisdom, we want to develop a God-centered, biblically grounded, gospel-driven form of emotional intelligence. That's what relational wisdom, or RW, is. If that's what it is, why is it so important? I mean, what's, what's wrong with just saying, well, I'm, I've, I've got a decent IQ, I can problem solve, and, uh, and I, I, I'm in touch with my emotions? 
Well, first of all, there's almost no correlation between IQ and success in life. You can have a very high IQ and still be a disaster in your relationships and not even get along with coworkers and do well in your job. Hmm. So there's not much of a correlation between high IQ, but there's study after study showing that people with higher levels of emotional intelligence, or our version, relational wisdom, do better in pretty much any kind of career you have. It's gonna, you're gonna see better advancement, performance, all those things. And one of the things that, that, that I'm detecting may be uh, an important distinction between emotional intelligence and relational wisdom, you correct me if I'm wrong, but that word wisdom is more than just understanding, oh, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I'm lashing out because I'm hurt, which is driving my anger. That's one thing, but then wisdom is, what do I do with all of these emotions? Yep. How do I respond rightly to your emotions so that I'm actually honoring mm-hmm. God, which is gonna get me where I wanna mm-hmm. go? And the Bible is filled with teaching on wisdom. And you know, the simplest definition I've heard of wisdom is doing life God's way. Mm. God's word shows us how to deal with anger, jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness. Those are real forces, but if we don't know how to deal with them in a, a God-centered, biblically grounded way, we could just be all over the place. So let's, let's get practical. If, if I'm in a relationship with uh, a family member or a friend or uh, a colleague and there's friction and there's, and there's all sorts of conflict, I can very easily point out what's wrong with the other person. I can tell you what they're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. In fact, I try to tell them all the time and they just don't listen to me. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is my part mm-hmm. in having strong relationships with other people? Well, you know, there's this really, really smart guy 2,000 years ago named Jesus who gave one of the most important relational principles in the Bible. And for that situation, what he would say is, Kirk, first get the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly enough to help the other person get the speck out of his eye. Jesus knew our nature was just the opposite. We could see all the things in the other person's eyes so clearly, we have a hard time seeing our own. And that's where we need the benefit of the Holy Spirit. We need the guidance of scripture. We need other Christians to help us see our contribution so we can take, take responsibility for that. And what I've noticed in hundreds and hundreds of cases is what we call the golden result. People will usually treat us the way we treat them. So if you point out all the flaws and the faults in the other person, what's he gonna do? He's gonna come right back at you with all your flaws. But if instead you go into that conversation saying, hey, I need to ask you forgiveness or something. When we made this contract, I did this or I didn't do this and this is really my fault. I've seen lawsuits been going on for three years where one person starts to take responsibility and the response to the other person isn't usually, well, I'm glad you see you're wrong and give me my money. Usually the other person says, well, now hold on a minute. It's not all your fault. If I hadn't done this, you wouldn't do that. And there's cases where people would now get in a whole new argument. It's more my fault. No, it's more my fault. Jesus knew what he was talking about. If we take responsibility for our contribution, so often the other person begins to do the same. Now, Ken, we we often hear um, words that sound very important in this world of emotional intelligence and relationship counseling. Words like neuroplasticity. Can you explain that to us? It's the idea that our brain is not like a piece of granite where it's just set in stone, but the brain can actually change. We can learn new habits, new ways of working with other people, handling our temper, all sorts of things. Uh, The brain itself physiologically, materially can change. The more important concept is sanctification. Our soul and our spirit, as God works on us, that can change. Now, I can't tell you exactly the interface between the brain and the spirit and soul, but something does go on neurologically where I can learn 
to practice new habits, Hmm. But most of all, it's the Holy Spirit working in me that where I used to lose my temper or get you know, self-righteous, I can say, hold on, Lord, I know, I know that doesn't help. Give me a second. And I can turn to my wife, say, Corlette, I'm so sorry. This was my fault. And that's a change in my character, which is the most important thing in hmm. the world. Ken, what's more important to have a healthy relationship? Uh, good, good reasoning skills? or understanding your emotions? Well, I'd want both. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's how God made our brain. The in- internal part of the brain is the limbic system, all these emotions churning. The outer part is the neocortex, our reasoning power, our, our impulse control. So ideally, we want them working together. Uh, I always try to present it like the, the motions or the wind in the sail. That's what moves the ship across the sea but you still need to have a hand on the tiller and know how to set the sail. So I, I wanna mm. control my emotions. I wanna know that I'm getting tense or jealous or uptight. I wanna be aware of that, but then I need to think through, okay, what happens when I give into this? Well, usually I say this, that doesn't help, so what's a better thing to do? Kirk, I think I need, can you give me five minutes? I just wanna take a walk around the block, pray about this. Just reasoning and, and thinking about how things have happened in the past, how I can do them better today. So there is a blending, both the emotions that God gave to us, but also the capacity for human reasoning is very, very important, both of them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ken, how does your work with relational wisdom help the person who says something like, I'm through with this Christianity stuff. You know, I grew up with this and I've prayed and I've asked God to take these feelings away and I'm still so angry. And these people just don't understand and if they don't change, I'm gonna go crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd probably say what my wife said to grade school kids when she was a school counselor and they're very busy trying to blame someone else for the problems. And she'd hear their story, and then she would look the person in the eye, this little, you know, fourth grader, and say, you know, after listening to you, it's very obvious to me that you are 100% responsible. And she'll pause there, and they start to go, like she's going to blame everything on them. And then she continues, you're 100% responsible for your own choices. If no other person in this world changes, in Christ, you can change. You can change your ability to deal with that difficult employer, coworker, mother-in-law, whatever, no matter what they do. If you put your hope on other people changing, that's a pretty dark road lying out ahead. But if you look at yourself and say, in Christ, I can learn to not only manage my emotions, but mm-hmm. engage these other people in a more constructive way. So the hope is not changing other people directly, although we can influence them. It's saying, God, change me. And Kirk, I see this especially in divorce mediation. I've done 600 divorce mediations. And the only time that those cases start to turn around and move away from the divorce and back toward reconciliation is when one person says, Lord, improve this marriage beginning with me. Mm. And when someone, when one person sincerely says that, that's when things begin to change. Ken, uh What do you say to somebody who says, you know what, 
I've always been this way. This is how I talk, and you should know me better mm -hmm. than, than that. You should know my heart. And you can't teach an old dog new tricks. What do you say? <laughs> I love when I hear that line, because when I hear it, it's usually during a seminar I'm doing, and some man walks up during the break. He was obviously dragged to the seminar by his wife. He doesn't want to be there, and he's wanted to challenge. So he comes up and uses just that line. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I say, turn around. He goes, what? Turn around. He says, what are you talking about? He says, I want to see if you have a tail. You're not a dog. You're a human being made in the image of God and his purpose for you is to be transformed day by day into the image of his perfect son. Now you can either do that a millimeter at a time or you can take giant leaps forward if you throw yourselves into his, his arms. He can change you. Now you can drag your feet, go kicking and screaming, not see much progress. But if you give yourself over to it, you'll be amazed how different your life is a year from now. So right. I want to hold out something hopeful, even while challenging the false premise that they've got. In your materials where you're teaching about relational wisdom, you talk mm -hmm. about the SOG plan. Mm -hmm. What are those, what's that acronym stand for? Yeah, we love acronyms because they allow us to take complicated principles and reduce them down to something so simple I can remember it in the heat of an emotional exchange. So SOG stands for self-aware, other-aware, God-aware, the three elements of relational wisdom, God, self, and others. So if I'm in a conversation, let's say I'm in a conversation with you, you've said something that has hurt my feelings, has you know criticized me, what I want to do is first of all say, okay, now, what am I feeling? Well, I'm, I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling defensive. I'm a lawyer. My instinct is to just get defensive. Is that going to help? No. Um, otherwhere, why would Kirk say that? Am I threatening him? Have I done something to him in the past? What's going on in Kirk? Has he had a hard day today? Where's God in this? God, nothing happens to me apart from your will. A sparrow doesn't fall from a tree. And so, Lord, somehow in your providence, you brought this brother to me at this time. You said this to me, and you're giving me a chance to grow. Jesus, what do you want me to do right now? So it's God, self, what's in me, how do I love you? And they're not, it's not a check, 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 I'm done. They're all interactive. It's like a circle going around and around and around. And we, we take the neurological, theological concepts, bring them together. We want to be rigorous, but then we reduce it all down to these acrostics. So the one you're talking about, emotions, yeah. we use the read across. If you want to be more self-aware, self-engaging, learn to read, R-E-A-D yourself. Read, recognize the emotion. What am I feeling right now? I'm, I'm jealous, I'm feeling self-pity. Um, just naming the emotion gets your neocortex involved so you're not just operating in raw emotion. Yeah. You recognize it, you're thinking, okay, I'm jealous. What happens when I'm jealous? I tend to demean people, okay. And then E is evaluate. Why do I feel this way? Well, Kirk's so much better looking than me and he makes me feel intimidating. Okay, anticipate. What happens if I give in to this emotion and I just start putting Kirk down and criticizing him to build myself up? I'm not going to feel better at that. I'm going to lose a friend. D, direct that emotion in a positive direction. Now that is simple. Recognize, evaluate, anticipate, direct. I taught it to my 10-year-old grandson and he is applying it in his life. And mm. well, I tell you, teenage years is a time where we really need to teach these things because emotions are so strong. But you can also teach it to adults recognize, evaluate, anticipate, direct. direct. And okay. it just, you, the more you do it, uh, it's like riding a bicycle. When you first start, you're awkward, you're uncomfortable, you're focused. 
But what happens after you've been riding a bike for a while? You're not even thinking about it. That's right. There's kids riding down the street, they're not even holding the handlebars or on their phone texting as they ride the bike. That's right. Because it's become so natural for them. Fear and guilt are crippling emotions mm -hmm. that can cause us to make very poor decisions because we're afraid mm -hmm. of going to that place that we don't want to go. Mm -hmm. Or we're afraid that uh, God's so disappointed with us that grace can't even reach us anymore. Mm -hmm. we're, we've already passed. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we're beyond the reach of God's mercy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can stem from trauma in the past, things mm -hmm. that have happened to us. Mm -hmm. How do we work through things like fear and shame? Well, those are complex concepts. I mean, there's a place for fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There can be fear of, there's a rattlesnake right here close to the trail, I don't want to get bit. So fear can be a warning sign that there's some kind of danger nearby and it alerts us to think about what should I do. What happens is when we become a slave to fear, we become incapacitated by fear. Um, my, my wife is so afraid of snakes, she can't look at a National Geographic picture of a snake. I mean, it freaks her out. That's, wow. that's how, how frightened she is. So what I've found in my mediation work, Kirk, is that fear typically has three faces. When someone has fear going on, they either show they want to get away from the situation, they want to distance themselves, they want to control the situation, or they get angry, and anger is a form of control. And this is a big revelation for me in my marriage. There were times my wife came to me and she seemed to be angry with me and accusing me of something and I would just get defensive and come back at her. Yeah. I'm a lawyer and that wasn't good. And I finally learned to say, okay, to be more other aware, okay, Corlett looks like she's angry, but I don't think she's really angry at me, she's concerned. It was usually about our children, something going on with our kids. And when I learned to, instead of getting defensive, say, Corlett, I, I see you're concerned about the friends that our son is taking, and I agree with that. As soon as I said that, recognized it, it's like now she had my attention, I was listening to her, and the conversation went in a positive way. So just recognizing not only the fear that controls us at times, but other people. Now the issue of guilt, that's another thing. I mean, Satan loves to put guilt on us, and the answer to that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah and just say, get away from me, Satan. Jesus paid for every one of these sins and I do not need to pay for them again. Yeah. And that's, that's holding on to the truth of the gospel. Yes. And yet at, at the same time, uh, like fear can be a good thing mm -hmm. in certain situations, mm -hmm. I think guilt is important to recognize when that is healthy. Because yeah. sometimes I am guilty. Yeah. And I, that's what leads me to repent and confess yeah. my sin. That's right. And, and so there's a healthy, healthy dynamic there. I am guilty. I smashed your car and I need to pay for it. I need to confess it, I need to make restitution, I need to repair the damage. So both of those can move us in a good direction, but like everything else in life, it can be, it can be consuming and crippling. And that's where we've got to guard against it with biblical truth. Is there any place for suggesting to another person, hey, you really ought to take this, uh, this uh, relational <laughs> wisdom course. I mean, and I'm serious because yep. I could say, look, um, <clears throat> I can take it myself and take responsibility, mm -hmm. but is there ever a place to suggest to other people, this is really something I think mm -hmm. would really help you and maybe, mm -hmm. maybe help us? Mm -hmm. and, and how do you do that without looking like you're blame shifting? Yeah, right. It depends a lot of the dynamics of the relationship. I, I had one woman who came to me after a seminar and 
she really liked the peacemaking seminar, peacemaking book. She said, boy, a pastor could really use this, but he's really critical of any other books outside of these few narrow uh, you know, authors, and he would never take this. And he's always trying to tell us about biblical truth and everything else. And so I just asked her a lot of questions about her pastor. And he seemed to be a sincere man that wanted to guard his flock. I mean, he, he wasn't doing exactly the best way. But I said, if I was you, I'd go back to your pastor and go to him and say, hey, I was at a seminar recently, and I got this book. And I don't know quite what to make of it. Would you be willing to critique this for me? So it just, it just fed into, he, he liked to critique things. So instead of going saying, hey, you need this, which would make him defensive, right. she said, would you critique it? He came back a couple weeks later and says, this is a really good book. So again, it's that uh, Abigail approach in 1 Samuel 25. Understand the other person's interests and approach them in the most thoughtful way. With that. The other thing you can do is you can go to somebody, let's say you've had a prolonged conflict with somebody, is you can start off with a confession. Say, Kirk, we've had a tense working relationship for the past year. I know I've said some things that hurt you and everything else. I want to grow. I, I don't want to keep doing this. And I came across this mature recently and I just thought, what if Kirk and I went through this course together? We could grow together. So it's not so much you need it, but I need it. Maybe we can both grow if you put yourself on the same level. And there's so many ways you can approach somebody on mm. something like that that is either defensive and offensive or it's humble, it's mutual, let's grow together. And that's that golden result. Ken, I have 100% confidence that your material on relational wisdom works and I can... I believe that just because you're putting these principles into practice in our conversation right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, I, I can think of, of some people that I would love to uh, go through that material with myself because the relationships are important to me mm -hmm. and I could use help in these areas. So thank you for, for being here and thank you for the work that you do. You're so welcome, thank you. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please, Follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.